Well, hello again. This is Pastor Brown from Akron Lions Fellowship. Want to uh, allow you to know that I have this privilege of being back with you once again. Been under the weather for a couple of weeks, and uh, I just want to express a word of thanks for to Melvin Melvin Gaines, who's been filling in for me. Just doing an excellent job, a wonderful job. Um, he's a dynamic preacher. Uh, he loves the word. He stays with the word. And he loves people. And he he just wants to use his gift to be a blessing in the life of others. And he has really been a blessing to me. And even uh, last week as I was listening to him uh, in the book of Hebrews, I um, got stuck on one of the words, the word today. And that's been a, a word that I've been searching out and studying and just asking some questions about. But he's one who takes the scripture. He doesn't rush through it. And he teaches. And I hope that you've really been blessed by him these last couple of weeks. Because he really is used of God and we praise God for him. And I can't thank him enough for pitch hitting for me and stepping in. Well, it's good to be back with you. We're still on this area of the covenant. Uh, we'll be finishing this up in the next one or two lessons, but I just want to pick back up where I was at. And many of you may not have been following. Some have forgotten, but I'm not going to try to rehash what we've already covered. But I do want to pick up and for us to understand the new covenant is much more powerful and much more meaningful than the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And we have something in the New Covenant that is different than what was in the Old Covenant. And we're going to try to bring those things out. And hopefully we will see them and desire to have them as part of our life. Because it's so important to incorporate God's word into your life. Now, it does take the Holy Spirit to truly teach you what God is saying about his word. But it takes you to seek the understanding and allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to take place in your life. I'm not talking just to you, I'm also talking to myself. In this life, we will always be learners. And the Holy Spirit is going to be our teacher. And he wants to grow us up in Christ. That we might be those individuals living here on earth that truly glorify the Lord. To glorify the one true God. And we have that purpose to live in such a way that God is glorified. And we want to live that way and really acknowledge that. So let's pray and let's get into the lesson and let's see what God is going to say to us. Because that's the one we really want to hear from. From the Holy Spirit as he teaches us. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the gift that you've given in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
And we ask, O oh God, that you would bless us as we sit at the feet of Jesus to be taught, O oh God, by the one who is the author of this book, your Holy Spirit. Would you minister to us? Would you help us to see and to understand? And would you help us, Lord, to know how to apply it to our lives? That Jesus Christ might be uplifted and the God of all gods might be glorified. For you truly are the living God. And we're so thankful that you brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And we pray for many others that you would open their eyes and remove the blinders from them, that they might see truth, that they might hear truth, and that they might be saved. For there is only one name given under heaven and on earth, whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. And all that is done this morning, may it be for his glory and for his praise. And for people to come to a saving knowledge of the one who is able to save them, no matter what their past may have been, what they're into at this present moment, that Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost. So, Lord, bless us as we look at your word and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we want to pick up in Ephesians chapter 4. Real quick, just to rehash just a couple of verses as we move forward. But I wish you could be with us tomorrow morning. I'm going to show a little skit of a horse race. And you may say that's strange to be showing horse racing in the church. But many of you may know of the movie Secretariat. It's about this horse who won the Triple Crown in 1973. And what people don't realize he was an amazing horse and that he was different he was different and he was made and and created in such a way and and put together that even the oral topsy really shocked the veterinarian the veterinarian who did the oral topsy on this famous horse on this wonderful horse and you say well how can this horse have any meaning for us I can only share the illustration that God gave with me gave to me is that in this last race you're going to see two horses running one secretariat and the other the other horse I would say is the world and Satan and for the good part of that race, they are neck and neck. And every now and then, Secretariat would edge up, get a nose in front of the other horse. And then the other horse would come back and get a nose up in front of Secretariat. And sometimes that's a picture of the Christian struggling to live in this world. We're battling with Satan. We have this race that we're in, and Satan's running right there with us. Sometimes Satan is beating us, and then there's times that we're beating him. 
And we're just this back and forth, back and forth. Then all of a sudden, in this movie, Secretariat just begins to pull away. And he wins this race by 31 lengths, so a record that still holds till today. And it reminds me to flee from Satan, to run away, to get that distance between myself and Satan. Because God has called me to be a winner. He's called you to be a winner. And the only way we're going to win, if we put some distance between ourselves and Satan. God doesn't want us running neck to neck. He doesn't want Satan out in front. He doesn't want us out in front just for a moment and then Satan recaptures. He wants us to run away from Satan and leave Satan in a sense, as they would say, in the dust. In the dust. And that we cross that finish line victorious with no doubt who has won this race. And you say, well, how might that relate to Scripture? That relates by the difference between what was in Old Testament and New Testament called the person of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we have the power within us to put Satan in the dust if we desire to run away from him. If we truly want to run away and get some distance between us and the enemy, put some distance between us and this world, we have the power to do that. We can pull away. Not within our own strength, but within the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, we can pull away from Satan and run a holy, righteous, pure, clean life if that's what we truly desire. And I know um, sometimes it sounds like a fairy tale, but it's possible. You have to want it. You have to desire it. You have to discipline yourself. You're the one who had to be willing to dedicate yourself to the Lord and to his word. You're the one who has to discipline yourself. And you're the one that has to devote yourself to the things of God. And when you follow those three deeds, you'll be surprised what will take place in your life and how you will run away from the enemy. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. We're going to pick up there. We left off there. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24. Because this is what he says here in the New Testament. And there's nothing like it in the Old Testament. Nothing, nothing. But look what he says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. 
the Holy Spirit allows us to know that our old life was a wasted life. It was a life of destruction. It was a life that was against God and what God desired for us. And he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. You put off that old man. You put off that old life. You put off that old doing because you understand that you've been called into a new life and you have a new life in Christ Jesus. And he goes on, he says, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Put off the old self. Why? Because it's corrupted by what? It's desires, deceitful desires. Then he says, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. To be made where? New. Where at? In the attitude of your mind. God wants to deal with how you think. How you perceive things. How you look at things. God wants to deal with all of us. God is an educator. God is a teacher. And God wants to teach us through his Holy Spirit. Now just stay, just stay with me. Don't run away yet. He says, to be made new in the mind, in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self. To put on the new self, or allow the Holy Spirit to develop this new you. This new you. If you will allow him to do that, the working of the Holy Spirit will take place in your life and develop the woman and man that God so desires. To be in these bodies. And he goes on and he says. And to put on the new self. Created to be like God. Created to be like God. And we're told we're predestined to be like Christ. And take these two things that are going to follow. And ask if Christ was not that. If Christ was not full of holiness and righteousness. And God wants these two things to be part of our lives, to dwell in us. And it's only going to take place through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In true righteousness and holiness. Now, that's part of the plan that God has for us, that we would live life righteously and in holiness in purity you say well that's asking an awful lot how how is that going to happen uh, god is the one who has to do the work in you go over to second corinthians 3 3 with me second corinthians look at verse 3 in chapter 3 he says you show that you are a letter from Christ. You show what? That your life or 
who you are, are a letter from Christ. In the Old Testament, God says he would write his word on our hearts. He would place them in our minds. That as we live them, people could read our lives and people could know that we're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. It wouldn't be a question about are you a Christian or not. They would see it very plainly. And he says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Now listen, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets. Now, in the Old Testament, God put his laws on what? Those Ten Commandments on what? Stone, on tablets. Now listen to what he's going to do in this New Testament. Of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What is God writing? He's writing on our hearts. He's writing his love story on our hearts. He's writing his righteousness on our hearts. He's writing his holiness on our hearts. He's doing something in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to understand that God is doing it. Now, go back to Old Testament with me, Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, 33, and we're going to read 33 and 34. Because God is doing something that is amazing. And I hope that you'll catch it here because it's important that you're able to really see this, that it is a work now that is of the Holy Spirit and not of man. Uh, so when he starts off in 31, I want you to catch what he says in chapter 31. Start with me in verse 33. He says, Wait, let me get my eyes adjusted here. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Where is he going to write it at? On their hearts. What did we just read in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3? God is writing it on our heart. He's writing his word on our hearts. And he's placing his word in our minds. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. I want you to look at the personal relationship God really desires to have with us. He says, I will be their God. Boy, what a privilege. That God would want to be my God. What a privilege. A lot of young people today don't see it as a privilege of being raised in a home in which they're being raised. A lot of people don't take it as a privilege to work in the place where they work. A lot of people don't see it as a privilege to have life or living life in the manner in which they're living and the 
discomfort that they are enjoying and the luxury that they are going through in life, that somehow they don't see that as a privilege. It's a privilege to serve God. It really is. It's a privilege to speak of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to be used of the Holy Spirit. It's a privilege. And he says, I will be their God. It's a privilege to worship the one and only true God. And he goes on, he says, and they will be my people. He calls us his people. He claims us before we ever claim him. He claims us. And he goes on, he says, and they will be my people. Now in 34, he says, and begin to catch this now, because this is what I want you to really hear. No longer will a man teach his neighbor. No longer are we trying to beat people up with the gospel and trying to teach them what the word of God says. He, he, and in the New Testament, when it says that the word went from house to house, it's not that you were going house to house knocking on doors. That's not what the word is talking about. The word was talking about it went from house to house because of what people saw in your house. That the Spirit of God was educating a people in this house. That the people in the next house caught it. And the people in the next house caught it. It went from house to house because of the strong, strong relationship that was taking place in this home. And because it was taking place in this home, neighbors were picking it up. And the word went from house to house. It wasn't that people were knocking on the door. It was that people in those homes were living for the Lord. And their neighbors knew it. There was something different about them. And their neighbors picked that up. And the word then went from house to house. Because of the authentic Christian life that was being lived. And he goes on, he says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord. Know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. God is saying that some magnificent way, every man and woman knows about him, that he is God. Now, to confess that is another thing. But inwardly, you know there is a living God. All you have to do is look around. All you have to do is sit down and think even about your own life. You know that there's a living God. 
how you respond to that living God becomes the question that every one of us have to answer. Do we respond in a positive way or a negative way? Do we want to know more of him or we just don't want to know him? And he says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or his brother say, know the Lord. Now, what we have to answer is this here, why is that? A man will not teach another. And he says, they all will know me. Turn to John 16, and this is where it gets very, very powerful in the New Testament or the New Covenant that God is going to do something that man can't do. It may be one of the reasons why we're not seeing what we need to see today because man is trying to do so much of what God needs to do that we need to step back and we need to become more obedient. We need to become more of a people separated from this world. We need to be a people who are just hungry for God in our own lives and let that just shine forth. But there are times... We're trying to be more like God and then we have to take this position of trying to persuade or make people believe in the Lord. No, we don't have to do that. I know Paul uses the word that he desires to persuade men and, and so forth, to teach men. But it's in the power of the Holy Spirit, not of the flesh. So in John 16, in verses 7 and 8, I want you to just pick up with me here for a moment. Uh, I mean, Matthew 16, I better get over to John real quick. Because he is going to share with us the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit has really come to do. And we need to recognize this. So he says in verse 7, of John 16, he says, But I tell you the truth, Jesus is speaking. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. The who? The counselor. The one who is going to minister to every living being. I don't care where they're at on earth. The Holy Spirit is able to speak to them. Whether a missionary gets there or not, the Holy Spirit is able to speak to them. And we're going to talk about that just for a few moments too. And he says, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Catch that. Jesus is caught in this body and Jesus can't be everywhere at one time. Jesus can't teach everybody at one time. Oh, he taught some large crowds. He fed some large crowds. There's some magnificent things that Jesus did, but he was still in this body, which limited him from being who he really was, the living God. 
But the Holy Spirit is not in a body or this human form. And therefore, he is free to deal with every individual in the world. Boy, that's something. That the Holy Spirit can deal with every man, woman, and child living in the world today. Boy, that's amazing. That just blows your mind right there. But he goes on, he says, I will send him, I will send him to you. When he comes, now, now catch what he's going to do. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. Now, when he used the word world here, he's not just saying some. He's saying every living being, the Holy Spirit, is able to convict them of guilt in regard to sin. He's able to convict them of their sin. Don't need somebody knocking on your door saying you're a sinner. No, the Holy, Holy Spirit has already done that. Man just has to acknowledge it. Now, the Holy Spirit does use man to teach other men. And we see that with Philip and the eunuch. We see that with Paul, with his missionary trips. But the real work is done, not by flesh and blood, but by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Three key words of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Nobody likes to be called a sinner. But if you understand what a sinner is, he is one who transgresses the word of God. He is one who goes against the word of God. He's one who goes against the rules of God, the principles of God, the standards of God. That's what sin is. Fighting against God. Then he says righteousness. Satan has done such a good job on this world that we don't know what it is to be righteous or to do what is right. Now this doesn't come from the Bible anywhere, but General Colin Powell who was also Secretary of State at one time, he makes this statement. Once you hear it, it's so important. He says, we have come to live in a society based on insults, on lies, and on things that just aren't true. That last part. Things that are just not true. It creates an environment where deranged people feel empowered. Isn't that something? How many people today who are not living a righteous life, who are not doing the right things, somehow have a sense of empowerment 
to take somebody else's life, to steal something from somebody else, to hurt somebody else, and have no remorse. But they just sense or feel empowered to do it. He says that's the society in which we live in. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to teach us something, righteousness. We need righteousness in our land today, even in dealing with one another. We have forgot how to discern what is right and what is wrong. And every man in our society today is seeing himself, just like in the book of Judges, is seeing himself right in his own eyesight. And somewhere that has to change. And the only one who can change it is the Holy Spirit. And then he says, in regard to judgment. Now, he's talking about, and he says, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. People were going to be judged. Just like Satan has been judged. You and I are going to be judged for how we live, what we believe in, and the things that we do. And only the Holy Spirit can bring you to a place to really understand. One day, you're either going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians are, or you're going to be at the white throne judgment where non-believers, non-Christians are. You're going to be at one of those judgments. And the Lord says, appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You will not get out or get away from being judged for how you lived in this life. And he said, those three things the Holy Spirit has come to convict people of. But then when you look into that verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Catch that. More than you can now what? Bear. I have much more to say to you. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, is going to teach you. In verse 13, but when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. See, in the Old Testament, it was the letter of the law. It was the law that stated what the truth was, and that's what the people followed. Uh, they followed the words of the prophet and so forth. But in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit living in us who gives us the gift of discernment to know what is right. And we have a word from God that tells us what is right. 
and between God's word and the Holy Spirit, we are led into righteous living. You say, well, why does it take both? Because the word doesn't cover everything. The word doesn't cover everything. But the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you will cover everything, every part of your life, every area of your life. Now, turn over with me to John chapter 14 and verse 26. We're going to have to move because time is just really running away here. In 1426, he makes this statement. Get my eyes again straightened out. He said, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He's going to teach all things. He's going to teach you how to speak correctly. Uh, you don't have to use a lot of foul language to allow somebody to know that you're upset. But you can do that in a very gentle, kind way, and they will understand you were not pleased with what maybe just took place. You don't have to use a lot of profanity. You don't have to be arrogant, nor do you have to show off. You just have to speak the truth. Now, catch this, in love. That you're not out to harm somebody else with your words. But you're just going to speak in a gentle way that shows forth love and concern for the other person that they might truly understand you and what you're saying. And he says, he will teach you all things. He's going to teach you how to handle your money. He's going to teach you how to love your wife. He's going to teach you how to raise your children. He's going to teach you how to be a good neighbor. He's going to teach you how to be a good citizen. He's going to teach you in areas that you never would have thought if you allow him to do so. He will empower your life to do some amazing things that you yourself who never seen yourself doing. And he says, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's not only going to teach, but as I read God's word, he's going to bring it back to mind, everything that God is teaching me and sharing with me in this word. That's why it's so important to be in this word. Holy Spirit can't bring back to you until you put it in there. One of the things, simple little prayer I pray just before I do my devotion sometime, and I don't say it all the time, but most of the time I do. Lord, take your word off these pages, place them on my heart and my mind, that I might speak these words to people for encouragement and for bringing them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want God's word in my life that as they come out my mouth and that they come out in such a way that they encourage people or help lead people to the discovery of who Jesus Christ is. So I'm just not studying just for selfish reasons. 
I'm studying to be the instrument that God would want me to be, but as the Holy Spirit also then will bring to mind those things that I've studied. Now, understand that as I read God's word and study God's word, he got to make correction that I am applying it rightly. Because you can pick up anything you want to pick up out of the Bible and you can have your own interpretation and it may be totally wrong. And therefore you live wrongly. You treat people wrongly. But when you allow the Holy Spirit now to give you discernment over the word and to correct you and to show you the proper interpretation and the proper way of living and applying that word, boy, it's a big difference. And he says, he will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Go over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 26 and 27. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 26 and 27. He says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Now, when you become a Christian or living as a Christian, don't think people still will not try to lead you astray. I have people talk to me and sometimes I just have to chalk it up as foolish talk and let them talk. And knowing that they're saying the wrong thing, but it's not the time to correct them, it's not the time to jump in there. And uh, you have to allow them to just speak what's on their mind and speak how they see what the word is saying. And we need to understand that he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. When you hear something from somebody else's lips, even from mine, you need to be the Berean. You need to go search it out in the word of God to see if it's true or not. You need to study God's word. You need to listen to God's word. You need to read others about God's word. How are they perceiving it? What are their thoughts on on this verse and so forth? You got to become a student. You got to become someone who is really studying God's word for this purpose that you'll know when somebody's trying to lead you astray. Then he goes on, he says in verse 27, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he uses the word anointing, he's speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit. The anointing you receive from him remains in you and do not need anyone else to teach you. Don't need anyone else to teach you. What did we just read back there in John 14? 20? He will be that teacher. He will teach you. And yes, he will place people around you who you can learn from. But your ultimate source of learning comes from here and the personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gives you then the Holy Spirit that he might teach you concerning the things of God. Boy, it's awesome. 
Now, Jesus becomes the high priest for us in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, their high priest was flesh and blood. Just another man, and he had to make sacrifices even for himself. Because as much as you may not like to think it, Pastor Brown sins. Now, I'm not intentionally going out here doing sin. But I should never even raise my voice to my wife. That's a, that's, that, that's a sin. I should never get angry with her. That's, that, that's a sin. I shouldn't have to worry about how I'm going to be taken care of in retirement. That's a sin. That, that's God's problem. I'm his. I'm his possession. How I think I need to stop sometime and 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 when it's a worldly thought is a thought against God's word, I need to stop and say, Lord, forgive me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's convicting me. And I know that it's wrong. Well, I'm going down the street a little bit too fast. It's it's a sin. I'm breaking man's law. See, because I'm a pastor, and because I say I'm a Christian, that doesn't make me perfect. Boy, I'm still learning how to live this Christian life also. I'm still learning how to be righteous and holy. I'm, I'm still learning how to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm still learning about God's word. And that's just the truth. There is so much more I have to learn. But I am privileged to know what I do know, but there is so much more. Jesus becomes our high priest. And and the good part about this, it doesn't change. He is the high priest forever. And oftentimes, we don't see that. That he is our high priest forever. He's an eternal high priest. And nothing will ever change that. He is. And he will be that from now on. Now go to Hebrews chapter 5 with me. Hebrews chapter 5. Pick up in 5 and 6. He says, So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. It is not something that he was shooting for. That was not his goal. If you're a young man, think about going into ministry. Can I challenge you with this? Don't see ministry as some glorious thing that you are getting ready to do. Don't look at some kind of way that you're going to be praised and you're going to be a hero. You're going to be worshipped. Uh, uh, you're going to be this or be pastor so-and-so or doctor so-and-so. 
Make sure of this. You're called by God. And you know God's hand is on you. That's going to sustain you in some difficult days in ministry. That will keep you in some trenches in the ministry where you don't give up and run. If you know that you are really called by God. And that you did not take this mantle and just put it on yourself for a good living. Or that you wanted to be praised by people. Or you just wanted to have something that you were speaking to people and this is the easiest way to do to do it. No. Know that you are called by God to be a pastor. Know that. To be a shepherd. Know that. And let me share something with you that's way out of line today. You don't have to be a bishop. You don't have to be a reverend. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to have this and that and all this other stuff. All you really have need of is a heart for God. A deep love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And a desire to help people. That's all. He says again in that verse 5. He says, get these eyes. So Christ also did not. He did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son today. And uh, a couple of weeks, Melvin was on on this in Sunday school. And he used this passage. And I got stuck on the word today. Today. And I'm still looking that up a little more to just have understanding. Today, you are my son. Boy, just to think of that. And the implications of that. Today I have become your father. Boy, today. But then come down into verse 6 with me. And he says, in another place, you are a priest forever. Speaking of Jesus Christ. That he is a priest forever. There won't be another high priest. There will not be another person who intercedes for you and for me other than Jesus Christ. There's not another person who will make a sacrifice that will give us eternal life other than Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest forever. 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 Now, we we have to come to that area that we are seeing him in a different manner. And it says that he becomes that high priest for us forever. Go to Hebrews 6 and verse 20. Where Jesus, who went before us, has entered 
on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Meshachedek. He went into the presence of God on our behalf. He hung on that cross in the presence of the Father on our behalf. He entered the Holy of Holies on our behalf and performed the sacrifice that was required in the presence of God on our behalf. And he has become our high priest. In, in Hebrews 7, 11 and 12, this is what it says. If perfection could have been obtained through the Levitical priesthood, perfection, if holiness and righteousness could have been obtained by the law, Christ would not have to come. Christ would not had to suffer. He would not have to seen Calvary. If perfection, if obedience, could have really been obtained by the law. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law was given to the people. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Catch that. He's making a comparison. The priesthood in the order of Aaron and the priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. The priesthood of Aaron they had parents. There was a genealogy that could be followed. There was a beginning and there was an end. Life begun at one point and life ended at one point. But with this high priest like Meshachedek who lived forever had no beginning, no end, no genealogy. Jesus is in the order of Mechigadak. No beginning, no end. He is an eternal being. And we will never have to have another high priest. And he goes on, he says, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, now, now stay with me just for a few more minutes here. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. So when the priesthood changed in the New Testament, The law changed too. 
because you are no longer declared righteous by the law, but you are declared righteous by Jesus Christ. Because the priesthood has changed. And the law really has no effect on your eternal destiny. What I'm saying here, just don't take the law and throw it out. There's the moral part of the law that we should still uphold today. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not steal from one another. There are those principles of the law that you should have no other God before you. There are those principles of the law that are good yet today. But understanding this, the law does not save us. It was never intended to have the ability to save anyone. It only had the ability to show you that you were wrong. That you were wrong. But Jesus Christ has the ability to save us and correct us and show us how to live righteously and holy. Now, again in Hebrews, when I go on with verses 13 through 14, look what he says. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. He's getting very, very pacific here now. Because Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. Aaron and all who follow Aaron was of the tribe of Leviticus, of Levites. And we need to understand that here's a total change for this high priest whom we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ, does not come from the Levites, but from Judah. And he is the great high priest. And he says, for it is clear Get these eyes focused here. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. None of them has ever been any priest. And he goes on and he says in verse 14. For it is clear that our Lord descended from where? Judah. And in regard to that tribe. Moses said nothing about priests. But he's in the order of Melchizedek. And what we have said in every more clear, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulations as to his ancestry, 
not from his genealogy, not from his passing it down within the family from one generation to another generation. Nobody from Judah was ever called a priest or served at the altar. Not on the basis of regulations as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared. He lived a sinless life. No one could blame him for anything. You could not point a finger at him and say because of this and because of that or you did this wrong and you did that wrong. Could not be said. For the scripture says he was sinless. That's our high priest. That's our high priest. And he comes from the tribe of Judah. I want to close with verses 18 through 22. 18 through 22. The former regulations is set aside. The Old Testament or the Old Covenant now is set aside. Why have a new high priest? Law must change. And it was, <clears throat> the former regulations is set aside because it was weak and useless. It could not do what God desired it to do, to save. But God had to show man his sinfulness. God had to show man that he was wrong and he could not save himself. That it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. But Jesus has sent us the Holy Spirit who can groom us, who can make us into what he desires us to be. Why? The work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He can perfect you. He can perfect us. And he says, made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others because priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest. God swore it. God said it. This one high priest and his rule will last forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better, now catch this, Jesus, this great high priest, has become a guarantee of a better covenant. Of a better covenant. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament could not perfect what Jesus is able to perfect in our life. What the Holy Spirit is able to perfect in our life. 
Oh, there's so much, so rich. Can't even wrap our minds around it all. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to bring to truth to you of the power of the covenant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and if you enter into that covenant and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, and if you turn from your sin, from your wickedness, and you say, well, I'm not a wicked person. If you turn from doing wrong, man, and repent of it, God is able to save you. That's the purpose of Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to apply the work of Christ in your life. That's what makes the New Testament so much more powerful than the Old. I hope that somehow we were able to make some sense out of this and bring some understanding between the Old Testament and New Testament. And to really see Jesus Christ becoming our great high priest. Really being able to see the Holy Spirit, the one who is going to teach us. We don't need man to teach us. But the Holy Spirit who will teach, who will confirm truth in our life. I want to pray and and I hope that you will open your eyes and your heart to the one who can really save you. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us understanding that the Old Testament, the law, was not there to really save us or to redeem us. Yes, it was there to Teach us through your laws and through the prophets that we were imperfect individuals. And what we had need of was a savior. And therefore the law only became a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was to educate us that we might see ourselves and understand ourselves. But Jesus Christ, he came with a new covenant to give us eternal life and the promise of your Holy Spirit who indwells us, who enables us to perform and to live in the manner which you desire us to do. He empowers us to live a righteous, holy life. And he teaches us about our own sin. He teaches us what righteousness really is. And he teaches us one day we will have to give an account and judgment will come. Father, we're so thankful that your word tells us we're not appointed to your wrath. But the only way to escape your judgment, your wrath, 
your penalty for our sin is through Jesus Christ. I pray that someone will simply say, Lord, forgive me, I repent of my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life and take control and experience a new birth that comes from heaven down to them. That they will experience a new creature being created in their life and that they'll see the old past and the new coming forth. Lord, bless, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and God keep you. And I just pray that somehow this has been a blessing for you because it really has been a blessing for me. So God, thank you. Uh, We just thank God for you. Praise God. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.